This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, it's Emily, and welcome to a special edition of Sliced, a Slice Snippet. This episode was recorded in Arizona at the Unmet AZ Conference back in early October, and will be a short but inspiring look into impactful founders and notable people from the region. On today's Slice Snippet, we sit down with Andrew Bart, CEO of AlgoFace. Andrew attended the conference and showcased his company, an ethical face AI technology that can do everything from virtual makeup try-ons to face mask detection. Please enjoy my conversation with Andrew. Hey, Andrew, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you having me on. We're so excited to learn more about you and more about the technology that you're working on. But before we do, let's kind of take us back to the beginning, how you got started as an entrepreneur and your track up until this point. So where are you originally from? Originally, I was born in Little Rock, Arkansas. Nice. You don't hear that answer much. (laughs) True. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I uh, was adopted uh, privately before I was born. Cool. And, uh, they had me shuttled out of Little Rock, uh, up to Baltimore, Maryland, where I, uh, spent most of my childhood. Nice. Mm -hmm. How was Maryland? (laughs) I love the big little town. Mm -hmm. Uh, there are lifelong multi-generational relationships that come from Maryland and Baltimore in particular. Um, I'm of, uh, my, my adopting family uh, is of Eastern European Jewish descent, and many of my family members got, and got off the ship at Ellis Island with many of my friends that I grew up with. And so there are these just deep uh, relationships that there's this like East Coast Jewish mafia. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. It's a, it's a, I'm very fortunate to have the friends and the relationships that I have in life. That's awesome. And so then how did you end up at ASU? Because you studied American uh, studies. American studies, civil literature. I had and to, I wasn't. Col- civil war <laughs> literature and culture. And I got a, you know, I, I had some uh, minor in women's studies. Okay. So if you need to know anything about Betty Friedan, I've got you covered. Okay. So what was the idea With that particular major, minor, what was the long-term goal at the time? So the reality was that there wasn't a long-term goal at the time. It was really (laughs) about, uh, I loved Arizona State University. Uh, I loved college. And uh, I uh, had amazing parents who uh, allowed me to maximize and optimize my college experience. Uh, I went on semester at sea, my second to last semester of college. That's where did you sail to? Oh, we went, (laughs) we went to a dozen different countries and, uh, over, you know, three, four months and, and traveled within each country. It was a magical and very fortuitous experience, uh, exposed me to parts of the world that I probably may never have seen Mm -hmm. and certainly in ways that I got to see them, Uh, at that point in time in life, like uh, literally we were pulling up into the port in Haifa, Israel, 
And that's when Ariel uh, Sharon had walked up on the Temple Mount. And so we walked into, they literally had us, we could not pull in the port because there was challenge. Uh, there was strife uh, starting to formulate. And so they were going to divert us to Cyprus. And uh, wow. then we were finally able to pull in. I mean, it was very interesting. Uh, we studied on the ship each uh, it, it, before we got into each port. We had guest speakers that told us about, <clears throat> told us about, the economy and the history, it was really a fascinating life experience uh, that stays with you forever. That's a wonderful experience and so hands-on, too, to learn about the place as you're entering it. it. Yes. You know, unless, of course, you get seasick, which I kind of do. So that would not maybe be the best for me. In between Norway and Russia, uh, the seas were... Choppy. Uh, they, they were serious. <laughs> And I would say about half the ship had, uh, <laughs> a little more than half the ship was uh, under the weather during mm, that period. That's so I did not experience that. Look at that. Uh, but uh, I saw a lot, of, uh, a lot of heartache in that period. <laughs> that's such a cool experience. So after graduation, you have this American Studies degree. What was your first job out of school? So uh, I'll back up and say that my, my true passion was really, I uh, was within credits of a philosophy degree, which is, was really what I loved. The logic, the symbolic logic, ethics. Um, and uh, I, I just, I don't know, I always had an affinity for it. And I had, I'll never forget the conversation when I was telling my father what, it, you know, because he, he kept saying to me, when are you going to leave college? When are you going to be <laughs> done with it? And uh, I, I said to him, I said, Dad, I'm studying a, you know, for a philosophy degree. And I would look up the name of somebody famous who had that same degree so I could like pitch it to my father. And so I found that Warren Buffett, uh, you know, had a philosophy degree. I had a little bit of a struggle when I was pitching to him the shift to American studies, civil war literature and culture. But for me, I, I had a teacher named Thomas Cotrer who told stories. Uh, I mean, he was a masterful, masterful storyteller. And I just got, I, I fell into one of his classes taking a history course and just got, I, 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 he locked me in. And uh, it actually helped me throughout my career because storytelling uh, was a big part, has been a big part of it, whether it's associative to pitching or, um, you know, uh, for, for fundraising, pitching the story of your business. Um, and also I came from, uh, you know, I'm sort of fast forwarding you a bit here, yeah. but uh, coming out of college, I was, uh, you know, I was uh, seeking to really go into, I wanted to go to law school. Okay. And... Um, I started the uh, application process to Santa Clara School of Law. Uh, was seeking to go into. They were. This is back in ninety nine, two thousand. They were. Um, they were the only school in the country that had an internet law program, and it was funded by um, uh, Intel. And my desire was that I wanted to. I knew I loved technology. I knew uh, that I loved finance. And I thought that the combination of those two things was to go get a law degree, and uh, especially in a place in the Bay Area uh, that was sponsored by Intel, and then the goal was to go to work for Intel Capital. That did not materialize because <laughs> I came back from semester at sea. I had basically a couple of credits left uh, and a partial semester where I spent a lot of time in the computer lab in 99 and uh, trading stocks. And, uh, you know, uh, I was like everybody else in that era. It was like you could do no wrong. But little did we know, we had no idea what we were doing. Right. 
Um, but fortuitously, uh, it got me on a path where I got exposure to a gentleman named Jeffrey Herzog. Um, and Jeffrey Herzog was the, the time uh, the founder of a company called iCrossing. At the time, it was called International Crossing. Okay. Um, and at first, they were International Crossing was uh, they would e-culturate websites, basically translate uh, websites for different uh, so that it was written in the languages appropriately translated, so that there was a manual translation occurring rather than what we have now with Google and. Um, ultimately, um, you know, Jeffrey recruited me, um, in the, uh, early stage team. And I was with, you know, 10 people that were early stage, uh, part of that company that really represent today. Uh, I gave you a little backdrop on my friends and how fortuitous the relationships are from Baltimore. I would echo that creation of relationships that I built from the startup community as I moved out to Arizona in 96 and I didn't know a soul. That core eye-crossing team, that group of 10, are the foundational friendships that I have today. I have, uh, from that original group of 10, several investors in out who, from that group who invested in AlgoFace. And, um, you know, we are a, a there is a, a tribe created from, from that original group of 10. That's so cool. How do you feel like community plays a part in, I mean, you kind of just mentioned in your own journey, but especially in maybe a fledgling entrepreneur who's just getting started, does that tie into your work as managing director at Startup Growth Ventures at all? Um, so a uh, couple things you threw in there I want to uh, talk about. Uh, number one, start a, a, a nation first time, you know, prospective or founder, mm-hmm. right? Co-founder. Um, I will uh, draw from a local interest and tell you that tribe is important. And, um, you know, being, being every, there is a bug to be an entrepreneur. If you have that bug, it's going to hit you over and over again, no matter how much you try, it comes back. No matter how long, uh, go, how much time passes, it comes back. So don't be fearful that you need to pursue it immediately. Sometimes entrepreneurial, being, you know, finding a tribe of people mm-hmm. that, that are maybe within an innovation division inside of a corporate venture group. Um, find a group that you can, um, you know, build with and have, you know, really as an entrepreneur, you look for autonomy and you're looking for, you know, you, you kind of have that mentality that you don't want somebody just putting you in a lane and telling you what to do. You want to be able to really use your creativity and, and use your ability to, um, uh, process things on your own and come up with solutions on your own. Uh, without having a very specified set of rails that you need to run on. And so I think that um, to do that, a lot, uh, to, to kind of fight that entrepreneurial bug, but balance it with an entrepreneurial spirit early stage in your career where you're, you're surrounding yourself with a tribe. And in my case, I found not only a tribe, but I was very fortuitous in finding Jeffrey Herzog, who served as this amazing mentor uh, in my, in my life. I mean, I, I, I have this deep relationship with him and I don't talk to him every day, but I mean, like I can pick up the phone and talk to him about anything. And I have probably about five or six people 
maybe maybe a little bit more that that um, have uh, over the years uh, been mentors to me. And so you have your tribe and you have your mentors. And your tribe um, is your your constant fallback. It's who you talk to every day. Uh, and when you th- when you get that bug and you think you're going to start something, they're your first phone calls. Uh, and it doesn't have to be for money. It doesn't have to be. It could be for anything. Um, ideas to bounce off of, advisory, board member, um, a- any kind of support system. And you find that not necessarily by going out and being founders, um, but you can de-risk. Uh, as a young entrepreneur by being uh, intrapreneurial in some, in, in some capacity uh, inside of a larger organization or a, a, a little bit of a, a working for somebody else but independent, in an independent division. Your, me- your mentors are those people that you just glean information from and ways of not you, – you, you also de-risk your, your decisions because you're watching them go through it. They've done it before. Um, they just, they know how to help you chart the right course to success. That's so awesome. And so kind of, could you tell me a little bit more about your role with the program that you're a part of the growth program? So you mentioned startup growth ventures. Yeah. Okay. So, um, a little bit about the journey will help to answer that question. And so my, my, my journey started professionally at iCrossing with Herzog and my group of 10. Um, from there, I left iCrossing and uh, I, I literally jumped in. While I was at iCrossing, I built a, it's a crazy story. So That's why you're here. Right. That's why I've, we're here. So uh, I had a cat. Okay. I love the, I love the start. <laughs> right. I had a cat. My, my, this was a purebred, well, uh, you know, papered cat. Uh, and um, Queenie the cat, she passed away early. Uh, and there was, you know, bottom line, uh, she passed away from bone cancer. And this was while I was at iCrossing. And when she passed away, I said, my God, there's no like history of this in the lineage, uh, you know, uh, of, of, you know, Queenie's history. And I said, something's not right here. And I started to dig into like, well, what, what could have, you know, caused this and what was she exposed to? And bottom line is, is I looked at the bag of pet food, mm-hmm. uh, because, um, I, you know, I said, oh my God, she, eat, you know, eat, eating, sleeping, drinking. What was she exposed to? There was no construction or anything like that. So uh, around the house at that time. So, um, you know, it was really uh, the first thing I thought of was what, what was she eating? And I looked at the bag and on the, I'm not going to mention the brand name, but, uh, <laughs> uh, uh but p- point being is, is that I found that several of the initial ingredients and certainly some of the backfill ingredients were, formaldehyde and BHT and BHA, which are, uh, and, and a number of other things that are just nasty. And, uh, very, you know, became clear to me very, very quickly that, um, this was a very likely factor. I don't know if it was or if it wasn't, but, uh, I didn't, I wasn't prepared or, uh, uh, committed to, uh, you know, going out and fighting and I'm not the, the social, I could, you, you have a choice, right? What can you do? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not going to be the, the, I'm not the guy, the pet a- advocate. Uh, I'm not, not a pet advocate, but, uh, I, I wasn't the social advocate. Uh, that wasn't my mission. And I said, how do I, so instead I said, how do I honor her? 
Um, and by honoring her, I built a website, a retail website. And I mean, you're talking about in 2000. Um, I built a retail website and I went and I partnered with a pet product manufacturer of holistic and natural pet foods. And I put Queenie's picture on the homepage and I thought nothing of it. I mean, I literally uh, just put it up there and I said, I don't care if this thing gets sales. I, I just want something that I can pull up on the screen and uh, have her present. And um, ultimately, what ended up happening was, you know, I was in search uh, at iCrossing. So, you know, in the very, very early days of search. And so I built the website and optimized the website at a time when people weren't even thinking about that. And the next thing I knew is, is these orders started rolling in and I'm like, oh my God, I, I've got like a business on my hands with this thing. And then I, I started paying attention to it. And uh, I built a supply chain management and lead generation technology platform on the, on, you know, behind the scenes that basically before Amazon did uh, a lot of these things that we are look at as very, very, you know, commonplace today, I built, you know, multi-product packaging and um, where an average pet company would sell a bag of pet food for like 10 bucks, 15 bucks. Uh, we were selling holistic and natural pet food, uh, which was a premium. And so they were premium prices. There weren't a lot of brands in market. And ultimately, I was able to apply a premium uh, on top of it because it couldn't be shopped. And then I optimized the listings. And then I sold up. A, I created the website where it bulk matched products based on different conditions that pets had. And it would align protocols with vit vitamins, supplements, extracts, flower essences. And it, we had treats and food. And we created a, a bottomless bowl and uh, on subscription before subscription was like anywhere near a thing that was super early. Um, and uh, our average order value went from about $20 uh, up to about $140. And then I built on the back end of that a um, where it started to sell up and down the supply chain. So it would somebody would come in. I would pre-qualify them based on their buying habits of whether they were a wholesaler, a retailer, they wanted to drop ship and white, uh, white label, um, uh, whether they were set, you know, a pet store owner or they owned a chain of pet stores. And then all the pricing basically converted through five tiers of pricing. And so it's, I started getting you know, wholesale distributor uh, accounts, and this thing grew. And seven years later, bootstrapped. I bootstrapped the whole thing and uh, sold it to my corporate strategic partner, who was a global pet product manufacturer. Oh my gosh, that's that is you said in the beginning. This is a crazy story. That is a crazy story. So you accidentally, by happenstance, because of a passing, yes, fell into your first business. Uh, that is correct. Okay, so help our listeners understand now from this place that you're in those years ago, right? So you've just sold this business. When did AlgoFace come into play and how, how those two are not related from my understanding, both businesses are not the same Cor in any that, way. That's, that's correct. And I do want to, I, I stopped at the end of that crazy story, but I don't know that I actually answered, oh, yeah, we can. <laughs> answered your question to fill out the rest of that journey, which I'll was let you post, post, uh, exit of that company. I actually, um, I, I threw my hands up after that exit and I said, I do not want to be a CEO again. And, um, I just, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't burnout, it, but it was, I just, 
I would say one of the strongest things I have figured out in my professional career is what I don't want to do or where I don't, mm-hmm. what I shouldn't be focusing on. And that helps me get to what I should be focusing on. So I said, I, I came up with some rules. I, I, you know, I, call, I had the rule of um, must do cool shit with cool people. That's uh, a cool rule. I, I did not want to be uh, a CEO. I wanted to be the best damn right-hand man that uh, anybody could have. And so I wanted to post-exit. I wanted to help founders um, really uh, as an advisor, board member, investor. And uh, I created a role as a fractional uh, C-level executive as a growth officer where basically I would bolt in uh, to a company and on a mitigated monthly retainer with some equity position I would earn out, uh, but 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 um, you know, be alongside of the founder through their their journey. Tip, and it started where I would focus pre-seed through um, through Series A, uh, and then I built the portfolio up uh, a bit, and it, it, I stopped taking pre-seed and I moved more seed Series A, Series B, and then I built startup growth advisors to basically put a wrapper mm-hmm. uh, around that. Um, you know, I basically built a virtual sort of ecosystem of support. I brought some people in that had different specialties in marketing or tech, you know, as CTOs, different C-level executives and VP-level executives that could be, that I could sort of bring with me into a company on a mitigated cost structure to help, um, the, the help early stage companies get expertise that would drive them forward to grow quickly. And that then grew into startup growth ventures. And we're now fast forwarding through 10 years of life, but, uh, or 12. But uh, ultimately, startup growth ventures was the next iteration where I said, I want to create a, um, you know, a, a brand that um, I could market to the, you know, the community, kind of what, uh, what I have accomplished to date and that, uh, what companies I've impacted positively. And um, with the intent to go out and acquire uh, a, you know, a software venture. And this brings you to AlgoFace. And so Startup Growth Ventures, when I posted that up and I created that site, I also put out some feelers in the marketplace because I had gotten that itch back 12 years later. Well, you said it never goes away, right? Eh, yeah, you try, but uh, <laughs> it, it does come back. And um, uh, ultimately, uh, I put out feelers and I started uh, getting some engagement from some private equity uh, groups that, that look for C-level executives that have their hands in the pie. And basically, I ended up connecting with a, a young lady, a very, very dynamic a uh, young lady named Scotty Wardall uh, from Integrity Growth Partners, a, a growth stage venture firm in Beverly Hills. And <clears throat> Scotty and uh, the CEO of a company called Algo, uh, his name's Amjad Hussein. Uh, uh, Scotty, Amjad, and their head of uh, HR at Algo, um, Phil Dean, uh, basically had presented to me the opportunity where the, Amjad had self-funded and bootstrapped to a late-stage Series A uh, with Algo, which is a supply chain uh, AI analytics company, 
And um, ultimately, Scotty uh, and her firm put in, uh, you know, a, a $30 million investment into Algo. And when they went under the hood, they found that they didn't just buy Algo, they had bought Algo Face, which was, to Amjad's credit, a division inside of Algo that, that he had funded um, and, and built up to about uh, 13 computer vision engineers and different types of engineers, as well as some uh, business support uh, that uh, over a three-year period built incredible technology, foundational technology in ethical face AI enablement. So basically, the found, if a platform that enables others who have aspirations to build something face AI related on any use case, they this is AlgoFace has the core foundational platform that you would build on. Okay, I w- that was my follow up question. Is exactly how it works. So it's more so a part of the building block for others looking to build upon it. Is that right? That is correct. Okay, that is correct. And so so Scotty and Amjad and Phil. And then others uh, went through a, a series, a gamut of, of, of uh, interviews with them uh, around a president position inside of the Algo parent company. Uh, and at the end of the day, we, you know, we, we got through conversations and I was like, I, this is amazing. I mean, really amazing people and tech. And I was just blown away. But I said, you know, I really, I, I, I don't really want to work for anybody would you be open to an asset acquisition? And so um, this is going back to October of last year. And so in March of this year, um, I completed an asset acquisition of the assets of AlgoFace, all the IP, and retained all the people. And uh, I inherited 14 people and uh, uh, four patents, uh, three provisional, one which has since been issued, and um, uh, an incredible uh, platform foundational platform. And then also, uh, we validated in a very specific vertical, my co-founder, uh, Tala Balashkar, who has a fascinating story. I'll have to make sure to get him on with you guys yeah, as well. Yeah, I was going to say, get us an intro. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> he is, he is um, exceptionally interesting, uh, certainly more so than I am. But uh, He's, he's got a, and he also has a lot of letters after his name, too. He's like <laughs> Dr. Talib Alashkar. I'm just a guy who took American studies, civil war, literature, and culture. <laughs> no, you're much more. But uh, um, uh, ultimately, uh, Talib, who is, a, 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 I mean, he is super sharp. Um, Talib is not like any other CTO I've ever worked with in my life. Um, uh, and that is not to say anything bad about anybody. I've worked mm-hmm. with brilliant CTOs. But um, Talib is a PhD uh, in computer vision. He has a PhD in computer vision from, uh, you know, a, a 10 plus years ago. I said, Talib, who taught that course? Because nobody knew what computer vision was. I mean, right. it wasn't like, and he got that. And he got that uh, PhD in Paris. And ultimately, um, you know, I had never worked at this level uh, in, in the depths of uh real deep tech art, artificial intelligence, and certainly not within the face segment. And so uh, when I met Talib, I realized very, very quickly uh, that this was not your average CTO from the perspective of, I'm used to where 
a, a what I thought was the great CTO was the person who could hack their way into something, um, who could crack a code uh, for something. Talib, before he ever cracks any code, he builds out the, you know, is there a market for it? He does all the, the research and analysis and figures out, you know, um, is there, is somebody going to buy this thing? And so true business mind and uh, uh, just uh, an incredible human being who I will make sure it comes on with you. But, oh, thank uh, you so much. Yeah. And um, ultimately, he was, uh, he had noted that um, there was some activity in the beauty segment around AI. And so he, he built several products in the beauty segment, a virtual makeup try-on solution, a, a virtual hair color specification product, and a virtual hair extension product, a try-on product. And then lastly, a, um, a virtual makeup try-on light solution that deploys through programmatic media, like literally within the ad. And so each of these products were built based on demand, but the whole concept of um, why Talib went down that route was because he saw that there were, there's a company called Modiface, a company called Glam Street, and a company called Giron. Modiface has since been acquired by L'Oreal. They built a virtual makeup try-on. Glam Street, virtual makeup try-on acquired by Ulta. Mm -hmm. Giron, virtual makeup try-on solution acquired by Shishido. And so, you know, saw that there was a market there. And what we needed to do was, you know, build, show that we could build products on top of our core facetrace.ai right. pro platform. And so our beauty segment was really the validator for our, uh, our core platform. That is so cool. Wow. So where can people learn more about this? You know, what are you guys doing next? Where can they follow along? Sure. So uh, you can always visit our website at algoface.ai, and that's A-L-G-O-F-A-C-E.ai. And uh, we have uh, invested in, um, in a content marketing uh, uh, play that uh, uh, produces a lot of valuable content uh, to help educate uh, the, one of the biggest misnomers, this is like one of my biggest challenges, is people hear about face AI and they think face recognition. We are not face recognition. We do not identify the who. Our whole core is um, you know, privacy, accuracy, and unbiased AI. Uh, so we are that ethical face AI enablement platform. Right. And um, uh, ultimately, I recommend the website. I recommend, uh, you know, try... Uh, uh, following along with our content. Also, uh, Talib's LinkedIn profile, Talib Alashkar's uh, LinkedIn profile is a very rich, um, you know, he posts a lot of uh, demos of our technology. And he has, uh, again, another uh, thing with him is, is he's an enormous following. He's part of a very small segment of the population that's really represents the core of face AI. And so he has uh, heads of corp, uh, corp dev and uh, the biggest companies in the world that are asking questions of him on his LinkedIn profile. Um, and, you know, he turns that business back into the, into the shop. Um, and uh, he's, he's very unique in that way. 
Awesome. Well, thank you, Andrew. I look forward to seeing what AlgoFace does in the future. Very, very, very cool technology. Very cool. Thank, thank you. you so much for sitting down with us. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Sliced Podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode of Sliced, please email newsroom at startupblogpost.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.